truly it is an honor just to be in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of his wonderful saints. One more time, I do greet you all in the name of Jesus. I greet my pastor um, as well as his, his wife and family. To all of the officers, ministers, um, and the team, the ministry team at Faith Deliverance, I greet you all in the name of Jesus. I also want to greet all of our visiting friends, um, all those who have joined online from various places near and far. God bless you. I pray God's blessing upon you tonight as we dive and delve into the word of God. Right before we pray, I'm just going to ask if Pastor James can just breathe a short word of prayer for us in the name of the Lord. Father God, we thank you one more time for your many mercies, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God Almighty, for Lord God allowing us to be together tonight again in this fashion. Lord Jesus, I pray at this time, God Almighty, that you will touch our minds. God, prepare our hearts to hear from you. Lord Jesus, still our minds. Lord God Almighty, let there be no distraction. Lord God, nothing that will take the word of God out of our hearts and prevent the word from finding good soil. Lord God, where it can make a deposit in our soul. Lord Jesus, I put the speaker tonight before you minister Longmore. God, touch him from the corner of his head to the sole of his feet. Lord Jesus, I pray even now, give him what to say to your people. Bring back to his remembrance. Speak to him. Lord God, by your spirit, I look to you one more time. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we bind every spirit of darkness right now and cause your glorious light to shine in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. At this time, just want to ask us if we could look at a passage of Scripture, um, a very familiar passage of Scripture, actually, and it's taken from the book of Luke, chapter 15, a story that uh, many refer to as the prodigal son. Just going to read in the New Living Translation. Bless the Lord. And we'll read from uh, verse 11 down to the end. And the Bible says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. 
and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. He, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once to do a single thing and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. You have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Bless the Lord for his word. The Bible says in verse 11 that to further illustrate his point, Jesus told him this story. And to understand the context of this story, we would have to first look at what was happening at the beginning of this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, Math, uh, Luke, the writer of this book, tells us that there were tax collectors and other notorious sinners who would come and listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told three parables to highlight the importance of repentance. And so tonight, we're going to look at that topic, the topic of repentance, under the heading, Head Home, The Journey of Repentance. Head Home, The Journey of Repentance. And so as we look at the story of this young man, that many call the prodigal son, uh, we see some things happening as it relates to his journey of repentance. Um, and I'd like to look at repentance in three stages. Uh, we'll call the first pre-repentance. 
in the first stage that we call pre-repentance, this is just simply what was happening before the son came to repentance. And we see that he comes to his father and he demands that his father gives him the estate uh, or the property that he was saving up for him. Now, as we read, we don't see anywhere where the son worked for this. We don't see where he uh, did any kind of tasks to receive this inheritance. But he knew that based on their custom, both sons would be given a portion um, of the inheritance or of the estate of their father once he was dead. But this son was so eager and so, um, you know, excited to get his hands on that inheritance that he says, I can't wait for you to die. Uh, I don't have time to wait for the process of life to play its course. A matter of fact, just give me what you owe me now. And in this pre-repentant state, I want to just look at and highlight some conditions, some of the conditions of a pre-repentant state or of a pre-repented heart. And so we can see that this son, one of the conditions that he had is that he was driven by selfish desires and motives. And whenever we are in a pre-repentant state, wherever we are in a state where we have not considered our own sinful condition, we will always be driven by selfish desires and motives. And so we see that this son, the spirit that was upon him was a spirit of entitlement. Because you can never have repentance and have a sense of entitlement to something that you are not ready to receive or that is not ready for your receiving. So we see that this son was driven by this sense of entitlement and, and you'll always be able to pick up on that entitlement when you hear that kind of language, give me, give me, give me. And so this is something that highlights someone who has not yet come to terms with the fact that they're living in a sinful and uh, uh, destructive state. The second thing that we see is that in the pre-repentant state, an individual is often focused on fulfilling the lusts and desires of their flesh. The son was driven by these selfish ambitions and motives, and his focus was on fulfilling those drives and those desires. And so, as we examine the son's life, the young man, as soon as he got the inheritance, his first point of action was to enjoy it, was to spend whatever he could spend. In one version, in the King James Version, it says riotous living. In the New Living Translation, it says wild living. So there, when you say, when you hear the word wild, it, it, it suggests there's no order. 
there's no sense of discipline. A wild beast is, is, a, is a beast that you, it's hard to tame. You can't predict what it's going to do when someone is wild at heart. It's hard to, to figure out what they're going to do next. And so this young man was living in a wild state. All he wanted to do was fulfill those wild desires of his heart. He, anywhere he could go, he could, any party that he found, he would show up to. Any, anywhere he heard music, he would pull up into that club. Anywhere he could hear the gambling machines, the slots, he can, he can hear that sound. He would show up because he has his money and he has his desire. And so this young man was ready to spend everything he had to fulfill his selfish desires. And so understanding that when we are in a state of pre-repentance, this is a, is a very dangerous state because all that we will think about is what pleases us. Have you been in that position before where you don't really care about the advice that someone's giving you because in your mind, you know what you want to do with that thing. You know what, what you want it for. Have you been in that position where you know that maybe your parents have advised otherwise? Maybe your pastor has advised otherwise. Or maybe it's someone uh, that just is in a senior position that has advised you otherwise. But because you know what you want, you're determined to get it. Have you ever said, no man, you can't tell me nothing. I'm not, I don't care what you say. Yeah, but... And so this is where his mind was at. He was, he was seeking to fulfill the desires of his flesh. Another condition that we see when we're in the pre-repentant state is that we lack long-term thinking. So we see that this son, he lacked the ability to think about how his actions would affect his future state how his choices would affect his tomorrow how are your choices today affecting your lifestyle tomorrow short-term thinking is the killer of every dream short-term thinking is the killer of every desire for something good in the future and so we see that because he lacked long-term thinking, he wasn't thinking about when is this going to run out? How many more days? What will I do? What's my, what's my backup plan? Do, what's my, what's, what, how am I going to live after this is all done? He wasn't thinking about that because he was so driven by his selfish desire and by his sinful desire that he lacked insight and vision for his future. And so some of the things that affect our long-term thinking is living based on how we feel, living based on our emotions. And in, in our society, so much of the advertising, so much of the communication that we get from media is about how we feel. So much 
that we see. We can't go onto any app without seeing some form of advertisement, whether it be about clothes or cars or a vacation or a getaway. So much of it is to appeal to our senses and our emotions. How many of the decisions that you make are based on how you feel? How many of the relationships that you enter into are based on how you feel? And there's a reason that God puts our head over our heart. Because our head carry our vision. Our eyes are in our head so that we can see and make decisions that are wise. Not just how we feel. But when we're given over to just our feelings, our feelings will drive us to a point where we cannot think about our future. And so, as we see, he lacks the long-term thinking. The Bible says that, that he was spending his money with prostitutes. He was spending his money on things that God had designed to be under a covenant. He was spending it on intimacy that should have been in a committed relationship. And so his substance is going to something that is only for a moment, maybe a few minutes, and then he realized some, some, some more money is being drained. But to him, he was so focused on the fix that he couldn't realize the problem. He was so focused on what makes me feel good that he wasn't realizing that his substance, his, his money, his inheritance was being drained. Sometimes we're so focused on pursuit of the things of this world, on the next job, on landing a, a, a career that will sustain us, that we don't realize that our spiritual well-being, our spiritual health, our spiritual inheritance is being drained. We're spending our focus, our time, our attention on the things that cannot bring us meaningful satisfaction. And so we see that because of his lack of long-term thinking, it brought him to a position of poverty. And if he had been spending his time reading his scriptures, he would have stumbled upon scriptures like Proverbs 28 verse 19. New Living Translation, which would say, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. He would have been reading scriptures like Proverbs chapter uh, 23, where it says in verse 19 to 21, My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons, for they are on their way to poverty, and too much sleep clothes them in rags. If he, was, if he was reading, if he was focusing on the advice that his father would have given him, he would have remembered that evil company corrupts good manners. He would have remembered that if I continue to waste my money on pleasure, all I'll end up with is pain. If I continue to waste my money on pleasure, 
all I'll end up with is poverty. What are the pleasures that we are wasting our time on? How many, how many times have we been advised by the word of God to discipline ourselves? To labor not for the bread that perishes, but for that which endures to everlasting life. How much of our time are we focusing on establishing ourselves in this world when we see that this world is fading away? It, 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 if you look out of your window, if you look out into the, the newscast, you will see the fires that are starting in every area of the world. The storms that are taking place, the economic times, the plagues, the devastation the sicknesses, the viruses, it's all leading to a crashing end. But how much of our time and our energy are we spending trying to live comfortable in a house that's on fire? How much comfort can you have when you smell the smoke? How, how comfortable is your, is your, is your $2,000 bed when you smell the smoke coming out of your kitchen? When you, when you smell it seeping through the doors, when you see that this world is on fire, that, you, that this world is coming to a, an end, how comfortable do you make your bed? How comfortable does your pillow feel? What are we resting on? What is our, where is our security? And he found his security in women. Who were strangers? Women who weren't willing to enter into a commitment other than a price arrangement. What are you losing as you're seeking pleasure? We see that he continued on this path. Until the Bible says that there was a great famine. And famines are interesting because famines signify lack or shortage of food. And when we're in a pre-repented state, our choices will lead to a famine. Our choices will lead to a drought. The dew and the rain of heaven will no longer water our lands. Because when we choose to do things our own way, we have now shut off the pipeline of heaven over our life. And so sometimes we don't understand, why is it that I'm so tormented? Why is it that I can't find rest? I can't find peace of mind. Why is it that I'm so frustrated all the time? I'll feel okay for a moment, but then soon after I'm frustrated again. There may be a famine that has swept your life. And so, David in the book of Psalms, chapter 32, verse 3 to 4, it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. 
sometimes the conditions we find ourselves in, the famines that come, or as a result of our own choices. Some governments mismanage their food supply. And because of that, there comes a famine. Sometimes it's the decisions of men that lead to a famine. And so oftentimes when we're in that position where we don't have enough to eat, where we don't have enough to sustain us, we become spiritually malnourished. What, what, what are the signs of a spiritually malnourished person? Sometimes it's a lack of peace and contentment. Sometimes it's a, a sense of, of just feeling miserable. Day in, day out, you can't shake that feeling. People ask you, why your face look like that? What's wrong with you? What's happening? And you don't know because you're just so, you feel miserable. Sometimes we're, we're easily irritated. The comments of others offend us. We're, because there's a malnourishment. Because the word, the, the word of God says that great peace have they that love your law, O oh God, and nothing shall offend them. Or nothing shall cause them to stumble. Sometimes when we're lacking the word of God in our heart, it causes this malnourishment. And the famine, because the word is so scarce, because we're not applying it to our life, it leads us to a point where we don't have the proper foods, where we're, we're not getting the proper nutrients to give us strength in our fight against the enemy. Sometimes there's a sign of it when we feel hatred towards our brothers and sisters. When we can't stand even the sight or the voice we hear a person's voice and we quiver. We ch- our, whole, our whole demeanor changes. This is life in a, in, a, in a pre-repented state. David says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. This is a malnourished man. I groaned all the day long. I'm in pain. I'm in agony. Sometimes we're well on the outside and we're healthy on our, in our physical body, but spiritually we're sick. We're wasting away and we can't see it. We don't recognize the signs. The, the excessive worry, the excessive fear. We hear the word, but yet we're not, we're not receiving it. The, the, the nutrients of the word will hear the Lord say, do not be afraid. But then because we're not receiving it, it begins to cause that malnourishment. What's our condition? What's your condition tonight? Sometimes when we're spiritually malnourished, we'll settle for less than what is our than less than what we should be settling for sometimes we'll allow conditions to prolong for too long we'll stay in certain relationships for too long we'll allow depression to sit on us for too long 
when the word of the Lord says that the joy of the Lord is my strength, we're, we're allowing that spirit of depression, that sadness to sit on us. And God is saying, I want to release you from that prison house that you're in. But it takes a mind to repent, to say, to, to change, to say, I can't stay like this anymore. It's now a sin for me to remain in this state because I'm no longer giving praise to the Lord. I'm no longer bringing joy and bringing peace to, to the Lord. I'm no longer bringing thank, sac sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. So it takes an awareness. And so... As we look at this young man, it's important for us to recognize his journey of repentance. Because it was in this famine. And oftentimes, when you find these issues in your life, it's the Lord trying to point that there is a famine. And it's his discipline. David says, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. And the discipline of the Lord is actually him showing his love to you. And we often associate discipline with hatred or uh, uh, with a sense of disappointment. But when God disciplines you, it's because he loves you. Hebrews 12 explains this to us. That the Lord chastens every son whom he receives. Every child of God. It goes through a period of discipline. When I see my children doing wrong, I would be a horrible parent to, to just turn my eye. When I see the baby playing with something that I know is toxic, I would be horrible if I just said no. And if I don't correct her somehow. God's discipline is a sign of his love. And so we see that the scripture says that to Israel, God told them, when you break these commandments, when you choose to rebel against my word, there's a natural sequence and series of events that will occur. There will be a consequence. And this is God's way of trying to steer us back home, steer us back into his presence where there is fullness of joy. When we choose not to forgive, when we choose to hold on and hold grudges against people that have hurt us, a famine will come upon us. A famine of God's forgiveness. Do you feel like God has not forgiven you? Sometimes we tie the hands of the Lord because he will not impose his will and try to force us to do what he says. That's why he says, choose what you will do. Choose who you will serve. Because he gives us an opportunity to receive or to reject. Are you receiving what God is sending to you? Or are you rejecting it? And so this famine now is a way of getting this young man 
to think about his choices. Not only is there a famine, but the famine came after he spent all that he had. It's one thing to have some money when there's a famine and you can find someone who maybe uh, has a little storehouse somewhere. But could you imagine if Jacob and his 12 and his sons at home had nothing when they went to Egypt? Nothing to give to say, can I have a little portion of bread? But this young man, he wasted everything. Because when we're selfish, it will lead us to waste. When we're self-driven, it will lead us to completely waste the resources that God has given us. But we think we're filling ourselves. Uh, 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 Eve thought that she was fulfilling good desire. She thought that she was filling her bucket. She, it was self-development. I'm just, I'm just growing, God. This fruit is not to reject you, God. It's to, it's to help me grow. But she didn't realize that by rejecting the, 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 the instructions of the Lord, she was wasting the inheritance that God had given her. Gave all things to Adam and Eve. Everything you want, you can have it. Right here at home in my presence. What do you need from me? Is it peace of mind? It's right here in my Eden, in my presence. It's all here. But sometimes, right there in the house of God, we choose ourselves, our selfish desires over the will of God. And the effects are devastating. God used that famine to bring him to a position where now he has to work. Now we, we have to work. But who are we working for? He's working now for a man who is sending him into a pigsty. And some of the only other references we have about pigs in the New Testament is they were the place that demons chose to enter into. The only other the references we have in the Old Testament is that they were unclean animals that were refused. But by the time we get a New Testament, now they are the place, they are the, 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 the hotel for demonic forces. They said, when you send us out, no, we, we see some, some other animals over there. We see, we see some uh, you know, monkeys. We see some tigers. We see all these. But we want the pigs. We want those who are, who are inclined to living a dirty lifestyle. This man is now, is now feeding pigs. He's, he's living. He's smelling like the pigs. He's right there with them. How many of us are under a... Uh, 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 covering of demonic interactions where we're feeding these spirits of pride we're feeding the spirit of gluttony we're feeding the spirit of strife what pigs are you feeding tonight and who is the master behind this whole scenario because 
It's those pigs that he was sitting with. It's while he was there. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to enter into situations where we're surrounded by these pigs because our own choices have driven us there. That's all that we can find. And so we're tormented. But the Lord is saying, get out. Get out of that pigsty. Head home. Get out of that condition you're in. Why are you still in that relationship? Why are you still being uh, allowing people to misvalue you and speak down to you? Why are you still using those words to talk about yourself? Why are you still devaluing yourself? You put yourself down time and time again. Why are you living with those pigs? Those are not the words that God has spoken over your life. He's spoken that you are my child, that I am with you, that I love you. Why are you saying I'm not good enough? Why are you saying I won't be anything good? What, where did those pigs come from? And why are you feeding them? Why are you agreeing with them? Why are you sitting day in and day out with these lies? Who's ever going to want me? If you are a child of God, there, there is no way that you can, be, you can be completely written off. When God has something for you, 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 when God puts his hand on your life, you become gold. And only people with an eye for gold will understand what you're worth. Some people are just spiritually immature and you're using them as a measurement of, of what your worth is. I know I would be foolish to give my two-year-old daughter a bar of gold and expect her to know what that is. She would probably take it, throw it around, color on it. Maybe if she was in the, in the washroom, she might even throw it down the toilet because she's not mature enough to understand the worth of that gold. Who are you allowing to value you and to set your price? Are they mature enough? Oh, but they don't want me. He didn't want me. He didn't want me. That one didn't want me. But does, does, does that matter? The Lord knows what he has in store for you. But it's only when we head home. And sometimes we can be in the house of God, but in a far country at the same time. Yes, I'm speaking to you. You can be in the house of God. You can be on Zoom right now, but your heart is in a far country because you're still thinking, I don't belong here. You're still thinking, I'm not one of them. They'll never accept me. But God says what I have cleansed. Don't let anyone Call that thing common. Don't let anyone call this thing this is just some other cheap piece of, th of thing. No, you're precious. You're washed. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter how far you were. The blood of Jesus has brought you near, brought you into his presence. So don't allow what you see around you to determine your identity.
He would have almost ate what the pigs ate, the Bible says. But it was at that point when he was about to digest. When he was about to identify himself with the swine, with the pigs. It was at that point that his memory clicked. And the process of repentance started. Sometimes God has to bring us in a pigsty, in a mess for us to see ourselves. The Bible says that he came to his senses. Another version said he came to himself. Sometimes we're so far away from ourself that we have no clue of our actual state. The Laodicean church, they had no clue. They were so far from themselves because we're made in the image and likeness of God. So in order to understand ourselves, we have to be in the mirror, looking ourselves in the word of God. But he was so far. The church was so far that they were poor. They were naked. They were miserable. And yet they thought they were rich and clothed and, 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 and just doing wonderful things. But it's when he got there, he realized, no, the flashback came. And sometimes we need flashbacks. Some of us who may have backslidden and we're still coming, but backslidden from, from the passion that we had for God. Sometimes we need to say, God, give me, just remind me of where I'm coming from. Remind me of those times I used to wake up in the middle of the night and pray. Now when I, when I, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm just tossing and turning, trying to find my way back to sleep. Now, sometimes I don't even get sleep because I'm so worried about what tomorrow's going to bring that I forgot, Lord, that you said, don't worry about tomorrow. Where's your mind? God is saying, I want you to come to yourself. And when he came to himself, then he remembered his father. When he, when he came to himself, it's at that moment when he recognized, look how low I've, I've fallen. Look how low my sin has brought me. How, how many times do we look and see where our sin has brought us? Sometimes we just need to stop and take a look. Lord, where am I? It's, 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 it's such a tragedy when we're in the middle of pigs, but we think that we're in a palace. Thank God he was able to recognize because pride will cause you to be surrounded by pigs and think you're in a palace. It will cause you to think that you're, you're good with God, that you can't see yourself. You're too busy going after your selfish desires. Like King Saul, he thought he was following the word of the Lord, but he was keeping back things that God said destroy. What areas of your life is God saying, destroy it? What areas of your life are, are you keeping alive that is causing you now to, to have a breakdown in the relationship with God? Did God say, stop doing that? What habit, what are the habits that you have that you keep on doing, but you know God has said, stop doing it? You can't ignore it anymore. Tonight is the night you have to confess it. David says that until I confessed my sin, my bones wasted away. There's a reason you haven't felt the anointing for so long. There's some habits that God is saying, I want you to cut. 
There's some people I want you to step away from. It's not a sin to step away from them. If you know that you're step o- stepping away, is for a separation of purity. If every time you call them, they have some news to carry and it's not the good news. Then there's going to be a time where you have to step away, remove the number. Because it's causing a stumbling block. It's causing you to sin and to fall into that pit and that sty. Who is bringing you down? That's why the Proverbs 23.20 says, Don't carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. In other, in other Proverbs it says, Stay away from those that are tail bearers or those that are gossiping because it's a disease that will make you sick and malnourished. And then when you're praying, you're not understanding why is God not answering my prayer? But when I look across, that person is being blessed. There's a spiritual parasite that's sucking the life out of you. Everything that is supposed to be nutrients to your spiritual well-being, it is now being sucked by these parasites. How many parasites are you living with? Are you speaking with? And you you think that it's a good friend. Examine. Examine your relationship. Take an inventory. Take stock. And look, what is it that is now affecting me? What am I missing? Hold on. I remember I used to have peace before talking to this person. Make, connect the dots. Join them. Find out what's, wait, something's missing here. Every time I talk to this person, what do I feel like after I get off the phone? Do I feel more edified? Do I feel more uplifted? Do I feel like praising God some more? Or do I feel like, man, I can't bother with that, that one. Oh, that man, that guy, that brother, that sister. Mm-mm. Sometimes the poison comes from our environment. It's what we are being exposed to. Sometimes we have to limit our exposure. What are we exposing ourselves to? Who's speaking into our life? Life and death, the Bible says, it's in the power of the tongue. Don't allow that death. The Bible says that this young man, the the father says, my son was dead. Who was he hanging out with? Who was he spending all his time and energy and affection with? The Bible says when we walk with wise men, we will ourselves become wise. But are we walking with wise friends? Have we prayed, God, give me wise friends. Give me friends that actually actually just want to follow you. I've had some people that when they, I just have to, when they call me, I have to either ignore the call. Or make the call very short. Because I know that if I ingest that, it's going to affect. It's, it's like secondhand smoke. I know that that is going to. They say sometimes that secondhand smoke is worse than firsthand. Sometimes it's not you that started this problem, but you're the one that's experiencing the aftermath. God, why is it so quiet? Why is the heaven so quiet? Why is it so dark? Why are there why are there no sounds of rain? Check your environment. So sometimes we have to look now, look around, come back to ourselves. Say, Lord, 
Show me. Show me myself. That's the first stage of repentance is the awareness of sin and the awareness of ourself. When he recognized he was aware of his self and his situation, that's when repentance started. And so as we look at the stage, the second stage of repentance, we must be aware, come to our senses. And after being aware of our sin, who can make any change until they're aware? God, make me aware. What, am I, what is it that's causing this issue? Why am I so, so, so miserable? Why am I always so frustrated? Why am I always so angry? Why is my tongue so loose? I can't, I can't get it on a, on a chain, on a, on, a, uh, uh, on a leash. Help me to be aware. Where's this issue coming from? Sometimes it's a spiritual issue. Sometimes it's a stronghold that needs to be broken. And you may need to get two or, or one or two more persons to pray with you. If you recognize you keep praying and something's, it's not, it's not working, there may be a stronghold, meaning there's an issue that's too heavy for you. And now we may need to call on a pastor or the elders of the church to pray with us. Sometimes we're so sick. The Bible says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. Pray for them. And the prayer of faith shall save or shall save the sick, heal the sick. If we're sick, we need to seek help. So after that awareness, then the next step is the conviction. One, awareness. Two, conviction. There must be a conviction in order for you to change and for that change to be real. Conviction asks, what will I do about what I am now aware of? This is where a decision has to be made. Once you feel that conviction, that's where the men, they had to cry out to Peter and says, oh my God, we killed our Messiah. Now we're aware, we're, we killed our Messiah. Se second stage conviction. Now, men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do now? And so this is where, at the conviction stage, is where now we recognize, we, t we recognize the need for humility. Because, the son, what sin does is sin causes you to leave home with a spirit of entitlement. But what repentance does is it causes you to head home with the spirit of humility. The Lord wants us to be clothed with humility. The problem was, and that's why when he went home, his father had to change his clothing. He had so much pride and pride had shattered him. The, Lord, the father wanted to change his clothing. What are you wearing in the spirit? And so now we have to be broken before the Lord. No more entitlement. He, was, he left saying, give me my inheritance. But now he, says, now he says at this point, look how many of these people, our hired servants have bread to eat and I'm dying for hunger. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do. Sometimes you have to rehearse your confession before you make it because you want to make sure you, you make it right. He thinks it through now. 
Now he's starting to think. Before we saw no thinking. There was no internal dialogue. He wasn't saying, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. And No, he's just saying, give me. And then when he gets, he goes. Spend it on this prostitute. Spend it at this bar. Spend it on that drink. Spend it doing whatever he wanted to do. No thinking, no thought process. Repentance requires thinking things through. So he now makes this decision clothed with humility and says, I'm going to go home and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. We have to recognize who we've sinned against. Sometimes it's not just heaven that we sinned against, but it's sometimes it's our own brother, our own sister. And we have to acknowledge that for our repentance to be truly accepted. I had a, I had someone reach out to me recently and they said to me, I did something really terrible. And it was again, and, and this person was a married person and they were unfaithful. And they said, ah, I know we spoke a bit and, and he confessed what he did. And, and I, and he says, but I, I prayed to God already. Isn't that, is that okay? I, I, I repented to God. And I says, no, but the scripture speaks about confessing our faults one to another. You've not only sinned against God, but you've sinned against your wife. Sometimes we've sinned against heaven and earth, and we have to make amends with both parties. Who have you sinned against? Which brother, which sister, which parent, which aunt, which uncle, which child? Pride will cause us not to repent and and to just think that, oh God, you know, I'm sorry, forgive me. But no, God says, no, go to your brother. This happened to me recently the other day. I'm there laying in bed, have a dream. And in the dream, it's someone saying to me that they have issues with me. They had the problems with me. And when, when I asked, they just said, in the dream, it was like, they just said, things. What was the issue? Things. So I said, When I wake up, then the word comes back to mind. And this is why it's so important to consume and digest the word daily. So that when you do it, it can come back to mind. I get up to pray, ready to pray, excited to pray. And then the dream comes back. And it's not particularly something that I did wrong. But when I messaged the person, they told me, yes, I do have some issues. And then they started to tell me some things that they misperceived. And I had to apologize. And sometimes we are not apologizing just, uh, we're not, we don't just apologize when we feel we've done something wrong. But even if we've offended someone unknowingly or inadvertently, we still can apologize and say, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry for it offending you and hurting you like that. That's, that's what humility will, will cause us to do. And then, because the, the scripture says, if you go to the altar to present your gift, And then you remember that your brother has a problem with you. Not that you have a problem with your brother. It says that your brother has a problem with you. Leave your gift there. Don't offer it to the Lord. Go and make it right first. Sometimes repentance starts here on earth where we have to make things right with our fellow brother and sister. Even if it's not something that we did on purpose. But once we do, then the gift will be accepted. So he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And then he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Wow. Look at the transformation in attitude. 
Look at the change in this young man's behavior. He says, I'm not worthy. Repentance will cause you to see that you're not worthy. I, I see that I'm not worthy to be called a son because of the sin, so many things I've done wrong. But Lord, if I can just be in the home, if I can just be in your presence, even just, I just want to be a hired servant. Lord, you, you don't have to call me son. You don't have to give me my room. You don't have to give me my bed. I don't want any more of that. I just want to be able to serve you. The Lord, repentance brings an attitude of service. How can I serve the Lord? How can I serve my pastor? How can I serve the church? How can I serve my community? How can I serve the one that I offended? Repentance. The journey home. And so with this mindset, he goes home. The next step, the third and last step is taking action. He gets up. It's not enough just to say it. He gets up and he go, he starts walking home. And this, the Bible says, remember, he was in a far country. And sometimes repentance, it will feel like a long way home. You'll be thinking, man, it's so far. Oh, God, it's going to be so hard to make things right. Oh, my God, if I try this, it's going to, it's going to take forever. <laughs> but God has provision whenever we are walking in his promise. And he promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So he begins walking a far away home. But before he even gets there, his, the Bible says that his father saw him a far way off. Because the Lord is able to see a broken and repentant heart from a far way off. And he came running to him. He recognized his son. He says, that's my son. I see him in humility. I see him in the state of poverty. I see him in brokenness. But I see that he's my son. Sometimes a pride will cause people not to recognize you. The Bible says that he, he, knows, he knows the proud from afar off and he resists them. Many will say, Lord, we're yours. Didn't we prophesy and preach and all that? But you didn't follow my word. You didn't repent. I don't know you, but this son is coming and the father is saying, I know you. You're my son. He recognizes that this is the one who he has given birth to. Repentance allows your father to recognize you again. Sometimes our sin separates us from God. But repentance allows us to come back and, get, and, and, and it quickens the going home time. Because the father comes running. Now he can lift him. He can carry him home. He sees he's tired. He can bring him home. He can bring you on his shoulder. God can bring you home when you choose to repent. God can make things go faster than you thought they would go. He can restore things back in a moment. Things that you have lost, your identity, your self-worth, your self-esteem. It may feel so low, but when you say, Lord, I repent of even entertaining those thoughts, those pigs, of thinking that I was, was nothing, of thinking all of these lies. Lord, I repent. God comes running. He says, yes, there's my daughter. I found her. She's finally coming to me. She's coming into my presence. She's coming back to truth. And he carries him home. 
It's so beautiful. He carries him home. And he doesn't just bring him home. He doesn't just bring him home and make him a servant. No, immediately he restores him. That's the beauty. Men will take years to restore someone who has sinned and is broken. But God can restore you instantaneously. You don't have to say, God, oh, God, it's going to take this amount of years. But when you're truly broken, instantly God restores you. He changes his clothes. He says, no, I'm not giving you any of the servant's garments. You're my son. He changes his garments. He gives him that status of sonship. He not only changes his host, he gives him new shoes. Speaking of that authority. And he puts on the ring. The ring. That royalty. Also authority. And he not only does that, he brings him back into the house. But he calls for a celebration. The Bible says that whenever a sinner repents, there's a party going on in heaven. There's a celebration that's happening. When we take action in our repentance, there is a celebration happening. And God is waiting to feast with us. He's waiting. There's a fattened calf. Instead of a a poor pig, there's a fattened calf. There's a calf that he's been feeding and feeding and feeding, just waiting for you to come back. And that's why you can leave the presence of God, do the, the, the worst sins. But when you're truly broken and you come back, he can fill you in a moment. Hallelujah. He can fill you. I've seen drug addicts. I've seen uh, coke addicts, crack addicts that come and God fills them with the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing. There's a fattened calf waiting for you, waiting for your repentance. God wants to celebrate. He wants to give you peace. Joy that cannot be taken, that is sustained day in, day out. Now that he's home, what does he have to worry about? What do you have to worry about when you head home? When you decide, you know what? I'm not going to continue in this sinful lifestyle anymore. I'm not going to talk back. I'm not going to backbite. I'm not going to spread gossip. I'm not going to spread rumors. I'm not going to just chase after the wealth of this world. I'm going to humble myself and allow my father to take care of me. He didn't have to work when he went home because his father was taking care of him. Our faith must allow us to know that God is taking care of us. Not our our RSP or our GICs or our stocks and bonds. It's God that will take care of you. Finally, in the third stage of post-repentance, there is a feast. This feast is what God wants for each one of his children. He wants you to have an abundance of supply, abundance of joy, contentment, peace, love. He wants you to have an abundance to share it with him. When are you going to head home, back into his presence, back into the prayer closet, remove from that pigsty of worrying, And repent, change. As I wrap 
up this, I share this last story. As I was, I remember a few years ago, I was in Ethiopia. And while I was there, I remember one night just sleeping and the Lord woke me up. He gave me a Psalm, Psalm chapter 10. And then he said to me, the words of this doctrine or of this teaching of the gospel are to keep you from being selfish. God wants to keep us from being selfish. The whole point of the gospel is to kill selfish desires. That is what killed us in the first place. So God is coming to kill what killed you. It was that selfish desire that says, yes, if I eat the fruit, I'll be wise. I'll be like God. I'll enjoy. But God is saying, now the kingdom comes with the gospel that says, I want you to stay away from being selfish. Deny yourself. Crucify any habits that you find are selfish. And by doing that, the Lord will receive you. It is the repentance that the Lord is looking for. Get rid of the pride. Because pride prevents you from seeking God. Psalms 10, and I believe verse 3 says, The, 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 the wicked, the pride of their con- countenance will not seek after God. You might think that you're seeking after God, praying, but it's not the God of repentance. So when we come, let us come with a repented heart. Every time we come into the presence, every time we pray, before we pray, say, Father, forgive me. Father, wash me. Father, cleanse me from selfishness from self-desires and ambitions. And let me have your heart. And when we do that, he'll come running. You want a quick answer to your prayer? You want to feel the presence of God? Head home broken. Head home humble. Head home with a sense of humility. And that's where heaven meets earth and we are at home. Don't be like the brother who was lost at home. Couldn't celebrate the fact that his brother who was dead is now alive. He couldn't celebrate because he was too focused on himself. You see, repentance is needed not just for the sinner, but for the saint. You may not have grown up in that far country, gambling, drinking, smoking, doing all kinds of sexual deeds. But you could be at home with bitterness. You could be in the, in the, in the house of God with unforgiveness. And it's, and it's preventing you from enjoying the feast. And so let's not be lost at home. Sometimes even at home, we need to head home. there's a home within the house and not every house is a home we need to head home and so tonight god wants us to be the one that returns so that there can be joy in heaven 
over the soul that has repented. Let us go to the Father and understand that more than you wanting Him, He wants you. And He doesn't just want you where you were. He wants you home. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says in John 14, that where I am, you may be also. God wants you home. Head home. God bless you. In the name of Jesus.